0: Amen. Go ahead. Have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Uh, Let's give as God has given to us as a way of saying thank you and out of obedience. Uh, So welcome to the new year. You've got, if you're one of the people who is holding on to dear life to one of your resolutions, you only have to keep it up for uh, 358 more days. You're almost there, 358. Uh, Today we're going to look at a day in the life of Jesus. We're going to be in Luke 8. You can go there in your Bible or in your app right now. And uh, for all of us, for all 358 of those days that we're going to white-knuckle it and make it to the end because this is going to be a year of success for all of us. Jesus wants to be involved in everything that we do. Uh, For all of those 358 left, he is close and in the best way possible, uh, obsessed with us. He loves us. He came for us. We matter to him more than we will ever know. And so what we're going to look at today is a day in the life of Jesus where he showed that to four very different groups of people. That he's a God of love. He is a God not just of holiness and nobody else will ever come close to what he's done, but in a way of saying, I'm going to step into your life to bring you into relationship with me. Jesus is always going after people. We see that as we look at his life where he goes. There's either a crowd that's following him or a crowd that he's going toward. Jesus is all about people. And there are two different ways that he interacts with people. One of those is he jumps onto the scene and says, quit what you're doing and follow me. Regardless of if it's bad or not, stop what you're doing and follow me. The second way is where he jumps in and like nobody else ever could and ever will be able to do again, he fits into what's going on. He sees the need, he sees the weakness, he sees the wound, and he fits his power, love, and ability to minister people, minister to people into exactly what's going on. I think as, as we just passed Christmas and a lot of us got new clothes and stuff, we understand how it feels to fit right. Like you put on that jacket, you put on those pants, those shoes, and you're just like, "Oh, this is the best fit in the world." For me, I love the way that hoodies fit well. We're in Southern California, so like that's about the extent of what it means to dress up for winter: is put on a hoodie, zip it up, maybe all the way because it could be like below 60, and we're about to die. In my opinion, that's how I live. Uh, I have my no hair right now. I'll put on my beanie uh, in the morning because it gets freezing for me, like below 50. That's too cold for me. But that's right, Brazil is happy in the back. But, uh, but for me, the thing that never fits, and rarely, very rarely fits, if it fits, like I'm holding onto this thing forever, is hoodies, okay? I either get it tight in the torso and it comes up to my elbows, or it actually makes it all the way down to my wrist and looks like a circus tent uh, around my body. But whenever there's one that fits, it's great. So this week uh, it was cold in the house at one point. I don't think it was cold. I think we were sitting down to dinner and I know I was gonna drink uh, cold club soda for dinner so I need to like bundle up for that and I couldn't find my hoodie because somebody else in my family had taken it and so I just grabbed the closest hoodie that was possible uh, and sat down for dinner like this and it didn't quite fit well. Yep, that just doesn't work. Somebody else had stolen mine, and so my fit was differently. A few days later, I'm hanging out with some of the guys from Sunnyside. Uh, One of them, the biggest of the group, had left his hoodie there. And so the two of us decided, we're going to make this hoodie work for us. And yep, that's what it was. So neither of those fit me well. It was either way too big or my nine-year-old daughters. What we're going to look at today is where Jesus fits into people's lives perfectly. Not in an enabling way. Not in a way of saying, I'm just going to step into your darkness and leave you in darkness and never call you to do anything difficult for me, but I'm going to meet you where you need it today. As we look at a day in the life of Jesus, we're going to see the passionate, uncontrollable love of our Savior invading people's lives in the best possible way. Knowing that this is not just a story. We're looking at these things not just so that it'll make us feel good for this today, but know that there is a God who created our day and who has good for us that's better than we could ever imagine. And he wants to demonstrate that to us through Jesus who's always going after people. And so there's four groups of people that Jesus is going after in this that we're going to look at today. And the first group is the group that is completely overwhelmed. The group that is completely overwhelmed. Jesus is with his disciples and uh, he tells them, we're going to go across the lake right now. He doesn't know why, he doesn't tell them why. But Jesus and his disciples, some of whom are fishermen, they jump in a boat and they start going across a lake. And Jesus goes down for a nap. Verse 23, soon a fierce storm came down on the lake and the boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him shouting, master, master, we're going to drown. There's one thing in there that shows that it's a big, big deal. Some of his disciples are fishermen. They spent their life on this lake. They earned their living on this lake. They knew this lake better than anyone else because if they didn't know the lake, they didn't eat. So they had to know the lake. And what happens? A storm comes and they run to Jesus and say, We're about to die. This lake that we thought we knew, that we thought we understood, that we thought we can control, we can't. We're in trouble. We are completely overwhelmed. And so, what the disciples do is they bring Jesus into the storm. They're waking Jesus, they wake Jesus up, and he's not angry. He's like, why did you bother me? How come you can't handle this yourself? This is your job. I'm a carpenter. I build things. You're a fisherman. You understand the water. Why are you bothering me right now with this thing that's completely simple? But instead, he wakes up. Not that Jesus is ever asleep, but sometimes we think that he is. And he wants to show him, no, I'm not asleep and I'm completely in charge. So, verse two, after this, they say, we're going to drown. And Jesus wakes up, and he rebukes the wind, and re- rebukes the raging waves, and suddenly the storm stopped, and all was calm, and then he asked him, where is your faith? He just wakes up. He speaks to the storm in their life, the literal, physical storm, and says, stop being stormy, stop raining, stop, w- stop being windy, which does not happen when I try it. But Jesus is the son of God. He's not just a carpenter. He's the creator of the wind, the creator of the waves, and a a group of people come to him who are completely overwhelmed with what's going on in life, and he doesn't say, get over it. He doesn't say, quit bothering me. He doesn't say, I've got other things to fix. He calms the storm in their life. For all of us, there are going to be storms in 2018 that we're going to walk through, and for all of those, the invitation is to bring Jesus into the storm. That it might go calm right after we bring him in because he's gonna come in and he's gonna work miraculously or it could get crazier but we know in our hearts that Jesus is walking with us through that storm and that as we see wind and as we see waves getting bigger and bigger around us, we know that God is walking with us through this and for some of us, that's gonna be the story of the year that man, my life was a storm this year and Jesus walked me through every step of it because he's a good God who loves me and he loves you too. For some of us, that's going to be our story. We're going to experience a day in the life of Jesus. But for all of us, what he wants us to know is that as we walk through storms, which we will walk through, it's not a moment where God walks away from us, but where God wants to walk to us and remind us of his power and presence, even in the midst of our storm. For each of these four groups, we asked people on our prayer team uh, here at Mountain View Sunnyside to ask God, okay, what do you want to say to our church for those people who this is, their, this is their right now, this is their reality, that they're in a storm and they're wondering what the heck's going on. And so for the group that's completely overwhelmed, we feel like God is saying, when I call you to go somewhere or to do something, you're not always going to know what's on the other side of the lake, but you need to trust that I do. My plans are always better than yours. And when you're in the middle of that journey and you feel alone and helpless, I'm there and I'm in control. I will never take you to a place where I'm not present. Don't think that I'm fully asleep and not aware of the troubles that engulf you. I'm in the boat with you, fully aware of your circumstances. I will take you to the other side of every situation. I have the power to calm every storm and just stay close to me. That's what God wants to say to our hearts as we're walking through this. That's what he wants to remind us of. That we're never going to go anywhere where God's not, and we're never going to encounter any storm where God looks at it and says, "Well, I can't, I can't help you." But He wants to remind us of His presence in there. So He gets to the the, the storm calms, it's peaceful, and they get to the other side of the lake, and there they meet the second group of people. And this group of people is just one person. And it's a person with some serious issues. This guy's been possessed by demons, and it says in verse twenty-seven. Verse 26, so they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. And as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, the man had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside of town. So it's not possible in baseball, but this guy's got four strikes against him, okay? He lives on the wrong side of the lake. They had a right side where the good people lived, and they had a wrong side where, oh, we don't go to that side. Jesus gets in a boat, takes his guys through the storm to go to that side because there's a person there who needs him. He gets out and the guy's living outside of the city. You didn't do that because you loved country life. Back then, everything was country life. There was no electricity, there were no streets. You lived, you lived a country life. He's outside of the city because nobody wants him around. He's saying, get out of here, you're not part of our community anymore. So strike one, wrong side of the lake. Strike two, he's living out, in the, out by himself. Strike three, he's living in a cemetery. That's where dead things live. People looked at that in that day and and it wasn't just an idea of of being kind of unclean biologically with germs and a stench. It's unclean spiritually. You live there, you're a bad person. And the guy lived there, that was his life. Every day he woke up as a bad person. He went to sleep as a bad person. He walks around in an area for only bad people. And it's said that he's possessed by demons and he's running around naked. Nobody wants part of this guy. They can't handle him. And Jesus walks right at him. And this is the reason they were going across the lake. They didn't have to travel, but Jesus looked at it and said, we're going there because there's a person there who needs freedom. I think in a human perspective, we look at this, the resources spent, the time spent, the danger that they stepped into to cross this lake, that the the people who knew the lake were pretty sure they were going to die. And we say, this is a horrible waste of time, waste of resources and danger. And Jesus says, that's my son there. That's my daughter. I'm going to heal him. I'm going to do what can't be done by other people. I'm going to go put their life back together. This, this guy's identity got Jesus across the lake and then Jesus' power did the rest. Verse 28, as soon as the, he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please I beg you, don't torture me for Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. And the spirit had often taken control of the man and even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out to the wilderness completely under the demon's power. And so Jesus commanded, what's your name? Legion, he replied, for for he was filled with many demons. And then the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit or hell. Same place, two names. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demons begged him, to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened, and a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been healed from his demons. And he was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerizines begged Jesus to go away and to leave them alone, for a great wave of fear had had swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. Man, that's amazing. This guy goes from four strikes out to completely healed and freed in front of everyone so everyone sees it happening and and knows that that person that used to be untouchable four different ways is healed. He's one of us again. Man, imagine being that guy. Imagine that. You're cut off from everything because everyone thinks you're unacceptable. You're unclean. You're not like us. There's something wrong with you. And one day this person you've never met before comes and, and crosses a lake to get to you and puts everything back together in an instant. Because his love for you was bigger than everyone else's fear for you. Everyone else's get out of here was Jesus's come to me. Everyone else, the distance that they put between you and them was exactly what Jesus walked toward for you and for me, and for us as Christians, that's the message of the cross, that every area where we tell God, get out of here, I'm doing this my way, is the area where Jesus says, I'm going to step over that and bring you to myself because I came to die not for good people, not for people who are clean, not for people who are good enough, but to die for sinners, which is me, which is us. And as a church, that's our identity, is we're men and women who used to be far from God, that God is brought near to us by the Son of God who took on the wrath of God to make us the people of God. That Jesus stepped into every strike that we had against us and didn't pretend that it's not there. He didn't like walk up and say, oh my gosh, you're naked. I didn't know that. Jesus says, I know everything about you. There's four strikes, and I'm taking them all away. Because Jesus goes at the man with serious issues. For us as a church, that's our identity, is that we are people who have been moved from sinners to saints or who are moving from sinners to saints. And just like Jesus came for us and we celebrate it daily, we hang crosses everywhere as a reminder of the fact that Jesus came for us That's our identity. And for us to to look at our lives with fear and shame about what's going on, man, that doesn't work with Jesus. The church is a place of confession. It's a place of laying down the things that we've messed up on in the areas where we've brought serious issues into our lives and letting the God who loves us bring healing to us because there's nothing that's too serious. There's no issue that's too big for Jesus. I asked the prayer team, man, what what do you hear Jesus saying on this? And Jesus says, I'm not here to torture you, but to bring you freedom. I have all the power. The demons are afraid of me. Satan is afraid of me. And Satan lies to you, telling you that your specific sin is too big and that Jesus can't forgive that sin. But those are all lies. There's no sin that can ever keep my forgiveness from you. I want you to confess the sin, be forgiven, and then walk in freedom from that sin. My great power and forgiveness mean a life of repentance and freedom for you. I chased after you knowing your struggle. I've loved you through this and my love will overwhelm you. Jesus looks at the group that's completely overwhelmed and he brings them peace. He looks at the man with serious issues and he restores him. And beyond that, he, he frees him to a new life. So the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family. That's the people who knew you. That's the people who saw your crazy first. Go back to the people with whom you can hide absolutely nothing. Go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. So the man went throughout the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus has done for him. Man, the person with serious issues went, met Jesus, and got transformed into a person with serious freedom and serious life. All Jesus said was go and tell your family. And so the guy goes, tells his family, and then tells the next 10 towns over because freedom came to him because everything changed. And for us this year, as we step into a place of being vulnerable with Jesus and saying, okay, God, this is what has gone wrong in me. This is what I want you to fix. Jesus is gonna bring joy to us as he steps in and heals us of our issues and frees us of that and teaches us a new way of living that's bigger than our old issues and our old sin. And it all starts with Jesus. So there's the group that's overwhelmed, the group that has serious issues, and the group that's pleading for someone else's life. Jesus gets back on the boat. and the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. And then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell down at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And the guy's Desperate. He's the leader of a local synagogue, which meant for Jesus, uh, he didn't get along with these people. They didn't mesh well. They were the people who had structure. They were the people who had hierarchy. They were the people who had rules. And Jesus came and blew all those out of the water because he loved everyone. And his power was massive and unpredictable. And, and the religious leaders didn't like that. But when your daughter is dying, rules don't really matter. Structures don't really matter. Tribes don't really matter. You want to find Freedom. And so Jairus comes praying for someone else. He's the first person here who's praying for someone else. The disciples are freaked out about their own life. They're going to die. The the demonized man, Jesus was there for him. He had his issues, which Jesus helped heal. This guy came because there was somebody else that mattered to him. And for us as Christians, the role of other people mattering more in our lives than we ourselves matter, that's our DNA. That is root to who we are and how God wired us. We become Christians for ourselves. We say yes to Jesus for ourselves. We find forgiveness of sin for ourselves. And then Jesus turns us around in a 180 and says, now for the rest of your life, you're gonna lay down everything for the sake of people who don't yet know me. You're gonna lay down parents. You're gonna lay down your life for your kids. Husbands, you're gonna lay down your life for your wife. Wives, you're gonna lay down your life for your husbands. Individuals, you're gonna lay down your life for your community, for your church. For all of us, this is what we do. We lay everything down. For us as a church, we wanna remove any possible barrier that that stands in the way of people between Tulare and Jensen and Temperance and Chestnut from coming to know Jesus. That's our Jerusalem. That's where we're the most excited about what God is doing. And so we want to see this happen. For us this year as a church, it's going to be a year of us stepping into what God wants to do. Stepping into God's ability where God wants to work and saying, God, how do you want to bless our community through us this year? You've got that serve card in your bulletin right now, and the reason behind that is because as a church, we want to take a step forward in being able to reach the area around us, and this year, we want to start doing it in Spanish because there are tons of people who, know, who live here who know where Sunnyside High School is but don't yet know who Jesus is and aren't going to understand it in English, so as a church, we want to take a step into that to bring the good news of who Jesus is in a new language so that more people can get to know Jesus. That's one of the things that's on there. It's it's 10 different options of where we can serve, where we can use ways that God has already blessed us and already built us up and already given us a desire to serve to reach the community around us. Because as Christians, we're all about what's outside. And that's us as a church. And for us individually, it's the same thing. Jairus comes to Jesus. And he says, my daughter's hurting. My daughter's dying. I need you here. He's absolutely desperate, and so he's breaking down the rules. And when you're desperate, you're going to do anything to get it to work. When there's somebody in your life that needs help, you're going to do anything that's necessary. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite things and also the most taxing thing in doing student ministries was this weekend at PISMO that we would do uh, every year in the fall. When school would get back, we'd take uh, kids and go camping at PISMO. And you're thinking, what's so taxing about camping in PISMO? Right. By yourself, it's nice. With 75 of your closest friends ages 14 to 17, it can get difficult. So one year, the year after Eden was born, when on average, right after your baby's born, you lose 700 hours of sleep the first year. That's average, So if you think I'm going to be average, that's two hours a night. Just gone. So I came home from that just stinking exhausted because I went into it exhausted. Uh, And it's Sunday night in the fall. What happens on Sunday night in the fall? Football. We come home. Packers are playing the Cowboys. I care nothing about either team, but I just want to sit and watch. And my daughter at seven months old, I think, six months old at that point, is screaming her brains out because that's what she did for the whole first year of her life was scream and not sleep which led to other people not sleeping. And, uh, and there's this thing about her when she was little. She wasn't very indoorsy at all. She wanted to be outside all the time. So if you're inside, she's going to scream. But if you're outside, she was very peaceful. We did not have a TV outside. So I did what every other uh, God-loving dad would do at that point. You open the front door, and you put a chair right outside, and you sit there, and you hold your baby, and you watch football. <laughs> That's right. And if you disagree with me, there are plenty of dads who will tell you that you're wrong. She was quiet. It was amazing. I don't care about the game. I probably fell asleep. But it worked, and I was desperate, and it worked. For this situation, Jairus is saying, I'm going to break any rule possible to get this to work because I'm desperate. And for us this year, there are people in our lives that we want to see meet Jesus. We want to see the destructive things that are going on in their lives changed. We want to see the things that that are going on that are causing them pain to stop and to get out. We want to see the influences in their life that are telling them bad things, silenced and muted and destroyed. And for us to have a burden for other people is part of God's work in us. He looks at it and says, yeah, that's my son, that's my daughter. How can you tell? It's, oh, it's because the way they look. It's their heart for other people and not just themselves. I think you live in life for any amount of time and, and especially as you grow up, you start to hurt for other people. And in this room there are probably thousands and thousands and thousands of prayers that have been said for other people. And what God wants us to know today is that regardless of how long we've carried that prayer for somebody else, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a child, whether it's a sibling, whether it's someone you grew up with or someone you work with or or someone that you live next door to, whatever, that the years of praying for God to intervene in that person's life that they are not wasted. That God sees them, that God knows the pain that's caused, that Jesus conquered it on the cross, and that He's ready to act again. And for those of us who have spent years asking for the same exact thing for somebody else, God's reminding us that there's no lost cause for me. He says it doesn't matter who the person is that you're praying for or what they believe. I want you to pray in faith and I will move. Never give up praying. Even when you think it's over and there's no hope. Even when you think it's over and there's no hope. It's for Jairus, man. His his daughter was dying and he says, I'm going to do anything I can to get God's attention for this. To see this changed. So there's the group that's completely overwhelmed. The person with serious issues. The person pleading for someone else's life. And the last thing is the person that's desperate for healing. So Jairus says, I want you to come into my house. Jesus leaves and follows him. And as Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds, and a woman in the crowd who had suffered for twelve years with constant there's a woman in the crowd who had suffered for twelve years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. She's like, This is my moment. There's a crowd here. It's not right for me to be around a crowd because I'm unclean. I'm, I'm just like the demoniac guy. Uh, a couple verses before, he's, she's kicked out of society because of what's assumed about her. And she sees Jesus walking by, and that's her moment. That's her opportunity. This is, you can look at this with cold eyes and a hard heart and say, man, that's absolute selfishness because she's unclean, which means that every other person that she touches is unclean but we look at it the way that Jesus would look at it and say, man, that's absolute faith. She says, this punishment is not worse than reality, so I'm gonna do everything I can to get to Jesus and see what happens, expectant that God is gonna move, that God is gonna heal. And so she touches Jesus' robe, and it says, immediately the bleeding stopped. And Jesus asked her, who touched me? And everyone denied it, and Peter is still seasick and moody, and so he says, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. Get over it. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. And when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. And Jesus flips the whole situation. because she's like a lot of us. We've got something that's gone on in our bodies. God created our bodies perfect, and then when we came out of the womb, when sin entered the world, our bodies became broken as a part of that. There are things in all of us that we want God to change, that we want God to fix, and what God does is he looks at that as our creator, as our heavenly father, as our God who loves us better than we could ever explain or conjure up on our own or create. He loves us, and part of his way of showing that is to bring physical healing, Throughout the Gospels, Jesus would go around and he would heal people's bodies as a way of saying, this is what you can expect from me. And so throughout history, that's been what Jesus has continued to do through the work of the Holy Spirit, is that God is still a healing God. And so this woman here, she touches Jesus, and instantly she feels, she knows that her pain has been stopped. That her condition has been taken away. That her unclean, uncleanliness, her impurity has been washed over by Jesus' purity on the cross but also in her body physically. And Jesus responds with three words that change everything for her. First he says, daughter. Verse 48 says, daughter, welcome back. You used to be outcast. You used to have to walk around your town saying, unclean, because if people got too close to you, they were unclean also, you reached out in faith. You saw something, you saw an advantage, you took it, you stepped out expectant that something is gonna happen. Daughter. I wonder how long it had been she had heard that. He calls her daughter. Welcome back in the family. And he says, Your faith has made you well. Well. It means that Jesus realizes that healing has happened. Jesus realizes that he still wants to see healing happen in his church. That just as we're a place of spiritual healing where we're sinners brought to being saints because of Jesus' ability to heal our lives spiritually, he's also a healer who has the power to heal our lives physically. If there's not a brokenness, there's not a thing that we can bring to God and say, God, heal, and he's not going to say, I can do that. He's going to say that he can heal. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He says, you're going to find your peace in me. We're going to have a chance to to experience physical healing today. At the end of the service, uh, like what Tim talked about earlier, our prayer ushers are going to be up on the front because we want to pray with you. And if there's an area in your life where you need physical healing, we believe in a God who is here today to heal because his power is still there. His power is complete and he knows us better than we know ourselves as we bring our issues, our concerns, our fears, our illnesses to him and say, God, I'm ready to heal. He looks and he says, I can heal that. For that, we ask the Lord, what do you want to say around this area, around this story? And so Jesus says, although you've been in pain and uncertainty for a long time, my healing power is still able to heal you. Surrender and have faith. There's, something, there's someone here trying to rely on their own doing to heal a broken marriage. I want you to surrender everything to me. Let me take complete control over every part. Hold nothing back. Surrender your body and mind and know how mighty and powerful I am. Release any ounce of doubt you have and know that I will be faithful. Have, have faith that doesn't question but believes in the power and miraculous ways of Jesus. Ask and respond in humility. Let today be the first day you ask in expectation that I will move. We worship a healing God because our God heals. Because we ask for him to pour out healing. And there are times when he does. He's not going to say, well, doctors said, oral medicine says, he says, I'm the God who created your body and I'm going to do whatever I want to bring healing. And for all of this, whether it's the person desperate for healing, the person pleading for someone else's life, the person with serious issues, or the person that's just flat out overwhelmed, however, this fits with us today. We all have needs that Jesus can meet this year, and as we ask, he does more than we could ever imagine. This is how Jesus ends his day. This is while he was still speaking to her. a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and the messenger told Jairus, your daughter's dead. There's no use, no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what, was, what had happened, he told Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, James, and John and the little girl's father and mother. And the house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. I love that. I'm gonna get back to that. They laughed at him because they all knew that she had died. And when Jesus took her by the hand and and said in a loud voice, he said, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat, and her parents were overwhelmed. But Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. The parents are overwhelmed. This whole day in the life of Jesus starts with fishermen being overwhelmed at the storm that they're facing on the sea and it ends with a dad and a mom overwhelmed at the kindness and power and mercy and grace of God who gave them back their daughter, their daughter that was dead and is now alive. And what's the reaction of everybody else around them? What's the reaction of the faith of Jesus and Jairus and the people who went with Jesus is they laughed at him. I want this year for us as a church, for us to be a church with laughable faith, that we're not going to bunt when it comes to our expectations and our our desire to put our lives in the hands of God to bless us, but we're going to go at it with a huge faith, with huge hearts, with huge eyes to say, God, this is our city. What do you want to do in it? That's what happened here. Jairus didn't say, hey, can you pray for me? My heart is hurting. He said, I want you to heal my daughter. The woman just didn't say, can you help me out? I'm feeling lonely. Her expectation was that she was going to be healed. And everybody else laughs at that. But for the people who asked, the people received. And they received a touch from a God who is powerful, a God who loves them, and a God who is still here today. So wherever our fit is, whatever this year looks like and is going to look like and has looked like up to this point, we worship a God who goes after us. We worship Jesus who is always after people, us included. We put crosses places as a symbol of the fact that Jesus came to lay down his life for ours, came to bring us into relationship with him. And we live out every day knowing that we worship a God that is loving and powerful and merciful and able to do more than we could ever imagine as we ask him. So we're gonna do that. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you are a healer that as we bring you physical things that are going on in our lives, Lord, that you are powerful to heal. Thank you that you know what's going on around us, that as we bring you the lives of people around us that we could have prayed for for decades, Lord, you're still fresh and powerful to move. As we bring to you issues that that other people might say is, is gross and And shouldn't be talked about, God, that you look at it and you say, I can heal that. There is no issue that's too big for me. There's no strike that's too bad for me. And as we bring just the areas in life where we are flat out overwhelmed, you never tell us, get over it. Instead, you walk with us through the storm or even calm the storm. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to ask Jesus to come into your life to free you from your sin, to forgive you, to make you into a new person from the inside of you to the outside of you, I want to give you that chance today. You're not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with me and every other Jesus follower in here that we have been separated from God by our sins and Jesus came to forgive us of our sin. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. And if today's your day to say yes to Jesus, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, somebody's going to pray with you today. So one, God loves you, always has always will. Today, he's calling you where you are to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, where we push God away and we say, I'm doing this my way. The Bible calls that sin, and Jesus came to forgive us for our sin. And three, all of us need to individually make the decision to say yes to Jesus and invite him in. So is there anyone like that today, where today's your day to find freedom, to find new life, to find forgiveness? If there is, just look at me and raise your hand. And someone's going to pray with you as we close today. Today's your day to find freedom. All right, the pressures are gonna come up right now. They're gonna be across the front. And if you're here and one of those four groups of people fits you today, whether it's a point in life where you're overwhelmed, whether uh, you've got a serious issue that you need to bring into the light, have somebody pray for you and invite God to start working in that area. Whether it's somebody else that you've been praying for and crying out for for days, weeks, months, years, decades, for God to move fresh in their life, come forward and ask for that. And if it's healing, if, you're, if you want God to do something in your life physically, God created your body. He knows it way better than you ever will. And he knows what needs to happen to bring freedom. We worship a God who heals. So let's worship and respond to that God this morning. Uh, come up and have somebody pray with you.